Hello and welcome to the February 15th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe, this is my neighborhood, this is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Seems like it was yesterday that I saw your face. Hello, everybody, and uh, I want to welcome you to uh, Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm certainly not not myself tonight, and I would imagine that most people across the United States and possibly the rest of the world. Uh, potentially are probably not themselves either. And what I want to say is, uh, since this is what I refer to as a mental health-based podcast, I could not have uh, started out in a better way or come up with a better explanation as to one of the things that we talk about, the world talks about, um, people misconceive the idea of depression and sadness. And uh, many, many times we will... uh, for those of for those of you who are not familiar with what mental health is and what depression is, I guess this is probably a perfect example of what it means to be sad. And um, I guess you you kind of could interchangeably use the word depressed uh, based on the horrific, horrific, horrific things that went on in the uh, Broward County public school system in the uh, Florida shootings, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think depressed is the right, right word, because depression is a is a clinical term, really, so, you know, that's where people sometimes get get it a little mistaken. Uh, we, we can be sad and not be depressed, and right now, I am sad, probably just like everybody else out there, and uh, I want to say that... Uh, you know, I don't talk a lot about politics on my podcast. I don't talk a lot about religion on my podcast. And, um, you know, if, if you do believe in a uh, higher authority of some sort, whether it be God or Allah or Jesus Christ, whatever, whatever it might be, um, I won't get into that, but I will say that my thoughts and my prayers are certainly with the uh, the victims of this horrible, disgusting uh, shooting that took place in the United States, uh, namely specifically Florida State. Um, so uh, I'll start out by saying that. And another interesting thing, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce the uh, first. There's, you know, the, the high school has a name to it, and I believe it's pronounced Mar- Marjorie Marjorie Stoneman. And uh, I'm embarrassed because I've been watching all this news, and I don't even know. I just know that it's Florida. But I, what, here's what I wanted to say. I wanted to make sure that I looked up the proper way to say the high school, at least out of respect. Marjorie Stoneman, I believe it is, and I, I apologize, uh, apologize if I'm wrong. I don't have a news channel in front of me right now. But here's what I want to say, and it actually makes me sick to my stomach that in looking up information about this horrific incident that took place just yesterday, I am Googling 
information on trying to get a better hold on how to say the, the exact name of this high school. And do you know that I literally searched for about 10 minutes before I hit the record button on this podcast, and all I could find were things about this young man who performed this atrocious act. That's the information that came up in my Google. It didn't matter how many times I scrolled, didn't matter which which website I went to, didn't matter if I went to YouTube, didn't matter if I searched through Google, through Bing, through Yahoo, didn't matter. The only thing that was coming up was information on this young man who committed a heinous, horrible crime and killed and took the lives of 17 innocent children. Children, like I have, a ninth grader. Uh, you know, I have a seventh grader. Now, it wasn't, wasn't a middle school, but <laughs> believe me, it's happened in a middle school this year. There's been 18 of them, if I'm not mistaken, in the United States of America. The, the land of the free, the home of the brave, so to speak. And, um, you know, I just found it just astonishing that in trying to come up with a little bit of information on how to just correctly pronounce the name of this school out of respect, I could not even find information on it because every single website and web page was pointed towards this man's first name and this man's last name and details about this man. And, and the details are, imper- are important. They are. They are important because it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead us to a, a big conversation in, in this podcast uh, because we, we can't ignore it. There are two se- separate issues going on here, mental health being one of them and gun control being the other one. Uh, so we got to talk about it. Now, I will tell you this. I'm not going to mention this guy's name. I think we've done enough of that. We've heard enough of that. I thought there was some kind of a rule that was supposed to take place where we were not going to expose the uh, person who commits the crime. And not for nothing, I've seen nothing but information on this person. So I'm going to do everybody a favor, and I'm going to not say his name, and I'm not going to talk about him any longer. Uh, we will talk in a general sense, a general term about things that went down, uh, but mainly, um, mainly about, uh, you know, like I do with everything else, we have to talk about my experiences in life because believe me when I tell you that what I do for a living has very, very much to do in many ways with what took place yesterday. And I want to start by telling you just a couple of days ago, my wife was very upset with me about something that took place. I'm going to paint a picture for you. Now, I want to start by saying, before I go into this story, I don't know anything about guns. I don't own a gun. I don't know what it's like to shoot a gun. I've never, uh, I've, I've actually been shot at one time in my life. Uh, it was in another state. And uh, I was actually visiting a friend in college, and like every other thing that I've done in my life, we started a ruckus in a club when we were very young, and we got shot at, me and my friends. Now, um, whether it was shot at or somebody shot up in the air, I, I don't, you know, it was, it was done to scare us because we basically started a riot in the environment that we were in. So, foolishly, of course, as usual, 
that's what we do when we are unmedicated and have bipolar disorder. Our anger sometimes gets the best of us. So it was no different at this time of my life. I, I did it, I think it was probably the age of like 17. I was a fool then and um, became acted like a fool for many years following. So I don't know a whole lot about guns. What I do know is that growing up, my father had a gun, and I remember him showing it to me. And here's what I'll say. I don't know if I was supposed to feel safe because my dad had a gun, and what he did tell me was that he had it in the house, and I believe it was a rifle, if I'm not mistaken. And again, I don't know enough about guns. I'm sorry. Um... So I can't speak a whole lot on the whole political thing about guns, although I will I will say a little bit in a second. I don't, I don't want to lose listeners. I don't want people to get angry with me. So I'm going to just kind of say whatever's on my mind, but say it from my heart and not say it from a factual standpoint because I don't have facts on the laws and on guns. I just don't. But here's what I do know is that my father t- had a gun. He showed it to me when I was really young. And he said it was to protect the household. And what I'll tell you is that I didn't feel protected. It actually made me feel more scared. I didn't like the fact that the gun was in the house. Now, maybe that had something to do with the fact that my father was a drinker. Uh, Maybe it had something to do with the fact that most of my Christmases, I remember my father passed out drunk on the floor and me having to step over him and walk over him. Uh, We had a... a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a uh, tradition on Christmas Eve. We used to open our gifts on Christmas Eve, and for a very long time, things were done in a nice way when we were real young. You know, it was, uh, we went to church, we'd come home, and we were made to believe that Santa Claus would come to our home while we were at church and delivered, uh, you know, our gifts in, uh, at, at, while we were away at church. And we'd come home, and we'd have a fish dinner, and we would open our gifts around 11 o'clock of midnight, something like that. And it was real nice when I was young, but as I got older and my father no longer could uh, keep his alcoholism in check, I remember simply, you know, him passed out on the floor and me opening gifts with just my mom uh, with very little attention paid to anything, unfortunately, uh, because she was so always so concerned about him being passed out drunk on the floor. So here's what I do know is, again, I was not, I certainly did not feel safer with that gun in my house. Now, does that mean that people should not be allowed to buy guns? I don't know. I would have to think that there should be probably stricter laws in place. I mean, common sense would tell me that if it was harder to get guns, it would be harder to use them, I would think. I guess the best analogy I could put it up against would be something as simple as alcohol. Um, And really, it doesn't defend my point whatsoever because, you know, the drinking age was 21 when I was growing up, not 18, like when my parents were growing up, and it's still 21 now here in the United States. And I can tell you this, certainly didn't make it hard for me to get alcohol, okay? So... Um, I, it's, it's kind of a weird point that I'm trying to make here. I'm assuming that if we put gun laws into effect, that it would make it harder, but really what does it matter? If somebody's going to get a gun, they're going to get a gun. The the same way that alcohol is illegal to buy before the age of 21, and you want to get your hands on it, you're going to get your hands on it. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know, but here's my story for you. And here's why my wife was very upset with me. About 
two days ago. What are we on here? We're on Thursday and um, oh, th- Thursday, yes. So yesterday was uh, God. When I'm so lost because of all this stuff. Yeah, yesterday was Valentine's Day. Um, maybe if I get a chance, I'll let you know what I did for my wife for Valentine's Day. It was real sweet what I did, um, and she really loved it. But the day before that, I was actually late to work because I did something that my wife was very upset with me about. And I'll paint the picture for you. Every morning when I leave for work, not only do I have a cup of coffee here at home, I usually don't finish it, but I'll drink about a half a cup. And on my way to work, I have my little routine, and I stop by a local store in Mr. Joe's neighborhood that's uh, kind of a convenience store where I get my other second cup of coffee. Again, my first cup I don't finish, but I I definitely finish a nice large cup of coffee. Uh, Probably um, killing myself each and every day by putting sweet and low in it. People tell me that it's not good for you, but I use a little half and half. Because believe it or not, I'm allergic to milk, but yet for some reason half and half agrees with me. Put my little half and half in, get my sweet and lows, get my large coffee, and I walk out of the convenience store in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. Now... Mr. Joe's neighborhood is a relatively safe neighborhood, and uh, when I walk into the establishment, uh, I park right out front, and I don't know if this is wrong, but a lot of times I'll leave my car running. I have nothing really you could steal in there, but if somebody wanted to get into my car and drive it away, they probably could. Uh, I I don't know if they would make it, because by the time I, I, I constantly look out the window, and it's probably silly. I should just lock my car door rather than have to look at my coffee, look out the window. You know, for somebody who has OCD... Uh, certainly not a smart thing to do. Well, that, that's, that's a weird way to say it. So a surprising thing for somebody who has obsessive compulsive disorder, admittedly so. But nevertheless, this day now, uh, going back to Tuesday, I, uh, I got out of my car and as I was walking up towards the convenience store, I noticed a young man that walked by me and he looked a little raggedy to say the least. And I hate to use that term, but he looked dirty. He really did. Well, he's not an ugly man. Um, he, I, I know his age now, and I'll tell you why in a second. He was 20 years old, and he, and he looked about 20 years old. Um, he was a tall man, taller than me, tall young man. And uh, as I walked by him, I could tell that, you know, he was, he, he looked like he was cold, kind of looked homeless. i got to tell you, he had that homeless look to him. And what caught my attention is that he made eye contact with me. And as I walked up to the store, I turned around. And I looked back, and when I looked back, he looked back at me. And I looked forward, walked towards the store, and again, I turned around, and I looked back, and once again, he made direct eye contact with me. So now our backs are towards each other, but now we both turned around and looked at one another. So what did I do, even though he walked past my car? I said, you know what? Screw this. Excuse my language. I know I don't curse a lot, and that's not really a curse. I didn't know what else to say. (laughs) to be honest with you. So screw this. I'm going to say it. I said, I am walking back and I'm locking my door because I don't trust this guy. And I just didn't trust him. I really didn't. I didn't trust him. So I walked back. I locked my car door. I went in. I got my coffee. And that was that. So I walk out. And now up against the side of the store, this gentleman has now walked back to the convenience store. And his back is up against the wall It's like a brick wall of this convenience store. And he's sitting there all by himself. And he's actually shivering. You know, it's freezing here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. Today was a little bit of a nicer day. But on Tuesday, it was absolutely freezing. And it's been freezing for quite some time. So this young man was actually shivering. I went into my car. I didn't say a word to him. 
and I just could not bear to drive away without going up to this young man and seeing what the heck his deal was. So I got out of my car, I walked over to him, and I said, are you all right? He looked up at me, and he said, actually, no, I'm not. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm really lost, man. I said, what do you mean lost? He said, I don't have a home. I'm, I'm homeless. I don't know where to go. I've been out here for, for, for a long time. I have no clothes. As you can see, I'm freezing, and I just don't know what to do or where to go. So I looked at him, and I said, are you on drugs? That was the first thing I asked him. And he goes, no, sir, I'm not on drugs. And I said, well, wait right here. I'll be right back. And I went into the car, and I said to uh, my, I, I had an interview that I was, uh, I had to, interview somebody at work and I, I knew at this point that I was going to be late so I gave the office a call uh, I, I paged I, I talked to the secretary up front um, and I said listen I said uh, secretary secretary D we'll call her that I said so and so might be there waiting for me oh yep she's here she's waiting <laughs> which was a good sign because they got there early it takes me about 15-20 minutes to get to work and the person was already there said, please tell that person that I'm going to be a little late. They're free to come back. We'll reschedule. If not, if they don't have something to do, they can wait for me. I'll be there in a little while. No problem. That's that. So I get out of the car, and I walk back to this young man again. And I said, where do you want to go, and what do you want me to do for you? And tears actually started to roll down his eyes. And he said, you're going to help me? I said, I'm going to help you. I said, I don't have money for you. I said, but I'll take you where you need to go. He goes, and he reaches in his po pocket and he pulls out a crumpled up train ticket. And uh, I said, I, I didn't know it was a train ticket at that point. He was kind of reaching in his pocket. He said, I have a train ticket for the so-and-so train station. I said, let me see the train ticket. And he pulled it out and, he, and it was all crumpled up. And he said, it's old, but it'll work. I said, okay. I said, get in the car. I'm going to take you there. And uh, I put him in my car. And I'm not going to lie, he actually smelled you know, it was actually a little bit unbearable as we were driving, and the train station was only about 10 minutes away, and, uh, the, you know, the young man really, really smelled, and I came to find out that uh, he was, um, he lost his mother on Thanksgiving, this past Thanksgiving, and he had been living with her, and the house was condemned, and since then he has been um, out of his home, completely homeless, does have a grandfather, and, and the interesting thing is he was texting somebody, and I looked at him, and I said, let me ask you a question. I go, here you are, homeless. I go, what are you doing with a phone? And he says, my grandfather pays for it for me. And um, I said, well, why aren't you with your grandfather? And he said, my grandfather's an alcoholic, and I've watched him beat up my grandmother way too many times. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, you let him get your phone, but, you, you know, whatever. So I, as a young man, I, I could understand that. 20 years old, you need a cell phone. Somebody's going to pay for it for you. And um, clearly the grandfather, even though he might be a drunk, cares about his grandchild in the sense where at least he could communicate with him. It just so happened this young man was communicating with his girlfriend, who was a bit younger than him, which explained why she could not pick him up with a car because she didn't drive. And he was taking the train station to her house, and he was texting her and letting her know that he'd be coming there. Um, and uh, this was the last um, attempt for her parents to take this young man in because, according to him, he had tried several occasions to, you know, begging the girlfriend, please ask your parents to let me in, and they wouldn't. So I believe he was out there for quite a few months, from what I understand, trying to get rides back and forth to the grand, to the um, 
to the uh, girlfriend's house and whatever. I don't know what's true, what's not. What I do know is the young man smelled. The young man certainly didn't seem like a liar. And the young man absolutely was not on drugs. According to him, he had smoked marijuana at the age of 13 and hadn't touched it since. And I actually believed him. And I'm pretty good at that stuff. Now, my wife was mad at me. <laughs> she was mad at me when I told her what I did. And, you know, when I got to work, my boss was there. And my boss, she's amazing. You know, she doesn't even, doesn't even ask where I am. You know, that's the relationship I have with her. We don't, I don't have to tell my boss where I'm at. Um, I'm high enough up in my place of employment where that's kind of, you know, not the relationship that we have anymore. I, I operate on my own and she's just kind of there as a figurehead, so to speak. And, she kind of punches in my time clock and makes sure that, you know, I punch in. I don't even have to punch out, which is a nice luxury. So it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, she just says, hey, how you doing? And I, I gave her the story and I told her. She, she reacted the same way as my wife. She goes, I would have been scared to death. I would have thought, what if this man pulls a gun? And that was what their problem was, was what if this man had a knife or a gun? And I don't know, what if? What if? I don't know. Maybe I am an idiot. Maybe I am a fool for doing that. But what I know is that his grandfather, according to him, is an alcoholic. And so are my parents. And you know what? I lived with my parents and I had to leave my parents. And I decided to go to a shelter at one point in my life. It was uh, the second time that I had been separated from my ex-wife. And I was so sickened by the actions of my parents and the fighting that went on between my mother was so unbearable that I actually emptied my entire uh, bedroom at the time, whatever stuff that I had there. This was the uh, time that I've told you guys about when my ex-wife got an order of protection against me, so I had a whole bunch of stuff that I had uh, was allowed to go and retrieve with an officer present so at least I could live at my parents' house. Well, I packed it all up, put it in a car, and I went to a shelter. Uh, and that was probably the worst mistake that I had ever made because everything that I took with me was stolen. So uh, for a couple of nights, I uh, was, I guess you could call it homeless, and then my sister took me in, and um, I ended up going back to my parents, and, you know, I won't get into that right now. So my point is I've been there, done that to some extent, and my heart just went out to this young man. So I, I just I had to do it for him. And, um, you know, I guess the big question here is, it probably would have not been surprising, or would it have been surprising for this young man to have been had a gun on him? Because that, that's probably how easy it is to get guns. And I just don't know. I don't know if it would help. I don't have the answer, so I'm not going to speak on it. But what I will speak on is what I heard last night, and I don't remember what channel it was, okay, but... Somebody went along the lines and said something like this, and I couldn't, of all the news things that I heard last night, I said, I have to do a podcast on this particular statement. Some idiot said, because this young man had mental illness, everybody who has a mental illness is usually brilliant and very smart. And as you could see, this young man had a plan, and it was premeditated, and because people with mental illnesses are so smart, he was able to come up with this elaborate plan. Now, what kind of a moron says something like that? I mean, really, come on. Now, I will tell you this. I have to reveal to everybody some of what I do for a living. And I will tell you all right now. I am in a lot of schools. And I was in a school today, okay? 
So uh, there, there's the first hint about Mr. Joe, okay? And you're not going to find out where I am. And as a matter of fact, I am in schools all across Mr. Joe's neighborhood, from the east end to the west end, probably close to 100 miles apart, which is a long, long way, okay? So I'll go to one end of Mr. Joe's country <laughs> to the other end of Mr. Joe's country. And, um, you know, just from my office alone to one end of where I work is actually 74 miles. And when I drive back, figure it's 140 miles. And then I could go all the way west, which is about another 44 miles or so. So, you know, there's a wide range of where I travel. And I go to every single school in between. So I'm in a lot of places, guys. And in one particular school I walked in today, and and just like I expected, everybody was kind of quiet and, you know, a little upset. And, um, you know, I do have a story for you because I, I found it to be amazing. And I'll get into that in one second. Um, uh, w- one of the things that was interesting is that, you know, the, the fight was going on in the school between the teacher's assistants and the teachers and, you know, should there be gun control? And most people in the classroom were saying that, you know, guns is not the problem. Guns are not the problem. It's the mental health and the fact that not enough help is out there for people with mental health problems. And I kind of got to agree, agree with that. Listen, man, I can't get a psychiatrist, all right? I mean, if that doesn't tell you that there's a problem with helping our young children and helping people with mental health problems, I don't know what does. I don't think there's enough help out there for mental health. I really don't. And I think that's part of the problem. I really do. Now, the person who was fighting the idea of guns or or more pro getting rid of guns and putting gun control into effect actually was the same woman who had a daughter who committed suicide. So her argument was there needs to be more gun control. Now, again, her daughter committed suicide, so I want to believe that she just did not want to acknowledge the fact that mental health should even be a part of the discussion because her daughter committed suicide. And um, it almost appeared like she was kind of defensive. Uh, so I kind of stayed out of everything. You know, I gave a little bit of my opinion, and I'll give you guys my opinion now. Here's what I see. And again, I've told you where I work in terms of I work in a lot of schools. And I see nonstop in most schools, I see nothing but these teachers and administrators not wanting to deal with the problem child. I go in and I deal with the problem child. And the few people that I can get my hands on, so to speak, and I don't mean children. Children I have a great effect on. Teenagers I have a great effect on. But the few people that I can get my hands on in terms of professionals, teachers, psychologists, paraprofessionals, principals, superintendents, things of that nature, directors, program directors, uh, when I get my hands on them and I get them for many, many years, I, I can guide them and I can teach them the signs and how to deal with children that have potentially mental health problems and, 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 and coach them and help them figure out why it's important not to push these children away because so many times these school personnel people 
want to throw their hands up in the air and say, I don't, I don't want them to be our problem. Don't, get them out of this school. We don't want them to be our problem. Because it doesn't look good for them. And that's the God's honest truth. Here's the thing. Cost them more money, the more problems a child has in a school, it costs them more money to, to, heal, to, to handle it. Usually you need help in the home. You need help in the school. There's usually what we call related services that go along with these children who have quote-unquote disabilities or slash mental health problems. So it costs more money and it causes more problems for them. So it's a lot easier for them to throw them out, get them out of their hands, and push them aside. And I'm telling you as my podcast audience, I see it firsthand every single day until I get my butt in a school and I'm able to take control of the situation. The problem is I am only one person and I can't do it all. And there's not enough of me. And I'm sorry that I'm bragging about what I do for a living. And I haven't done that on one single podcast. Okay, but that's what needs to be done. We need to educate people, people in our schools. Now, I am not blaming this school. I am not. Because it sounds to me like they did whatever they could. I, I think, I don't know, it sounds to me more like the FBI dropped the ball here. Unless there was just no way for them to, uh, you know, find this young man based on that YouTube thing that went down. I, I don't know, guys. I don't know the facts. I don't know. And, I, and based on what I heard, I don't think there was a whole lot more the school could do. I, it sounds to me like they took every preventative measure that they possibly could. Could they have done more? I guess we could always do more. I feel like there's times when I failed students, and I could have done more. So yes, maybe they could have done more. I don't know. I wasn't there. None of us were there to judge. But, you know, uh, the fact that they took his backpack away, I'll tell you this. Based on what I heard on the news for what this school has done, sadly, they've done a heck of a lot more than some of the schools that I've worked in. And some of the things that I've seen up until at least I've gotten my hands on some of these school administrators. And that's pretty darn sad. Okay? Pretty sad. Now, what else do I do for a living? Here's what I do for a living. Besides working with children with autism, working with children with various disabilities, whether it be Down syndrome, ADD, ADHD, um, uh, PDD, which is no longer, I, I used to say PDD, now it's all ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, ODD, op Oppositional Defiant Disorder, all of these things, substance abuse, I work with children with bipolar disorder, with schizophrenia, I do it all, do it all. And one of the other things I do is I train professionals on what to look for in terms of a troubled student what what are the signs what to look for and there are times when I I train 150 people at once I'll walk around with a microphone I'll put up a PowerPoint and there are times when I break the trainings up into 30 members at a time 30 people I'll do a 30 people for two days straight and I'll bring in the next round of people another 30 people um, you know, and it's great because I write the contracts, I make the prices and, um, I try to give reasonable prices because I want people to, as much as a business as it is, and I have to, I have to prove to the place where I work that yes, I'm going to make you money because I don't get paid directly for any of this anymore. I'm not, I'm not independent. I work for a company. I used to do it on my own. I got tired of doing that. It was, it was boring, boring, annoying to, to, with, with, with writing things off and, you know, um, not taking taxes, and I don't mean boring the job. I mean, 
maybe that's the wrong word. It was annoying, you know, having your own business and paying for your own health insurance, and especially when you got a, a son who's got two autoimmune diseases, okay? I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted a company who was going to take taxes out, give me good health insurance, and that's what I got. So I, I got to I gotta make sure that I, I do the right thing and I make them business, but I got to find a way to make it reasonable for these school districts so I could get my butt in there and teach these people about the signs, about the troubling signs of some of these students. And you know what? It all starts with anxiety, believe it or not. A crisis, if a crisis is going to develop, please keep this in mind, that there is a development stage, a developmental stage that goes on. Okay, And I'm not going to get into the stages, but what I will tell you is nine times out of ten, it usually starts with anxiety. And that's what we will see in a troubled student. We'll see different signs of anxiety. Sometimes they're right there in front of us. Sometimes they're a little bit less obvious. It's our job as educators to search for those signs. because, And, and, and guys, I'm sorry, but you know we cannot take anxiety lightly. Because anxiety leads to a whole host of other problems, whether it be substance abuse, whether it be isolation, whether it be confusion, whether it be bullying. There are so many avenues that anxiety can lead to, whether it leads to depression. Um, you know, we have to be aware of these signs of anxiety to help us identify who our troubled students are and it's 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 very very concerning to me it's just very very sad that um that we are not educating our our educators on on how to uh see the signs it's really really sad so now um you know the other thing i'm going to say is no i wasn't there i wasn't i i wasn't at this school obviously where this took place and one of the things that really bothers me is that I kind of had a feeling I was going to walk into this particular school today and everybody was going to be quite dramatic, <laughs> to say the least, you know. Now, I know it's an upsetting thing. I'm not taking that away. But, you know, we got to get a grip, everybody. We do. we got to get a grip and we got to realize that we weren't there and a lot of, a lot of loved ones were lost. But um, for, the, for the first time, <laughs> I actually was wrong in the sense where um, the teacher that I work with, uh, one p teacher in particular, had every right to be upset. Um, and it was, it was actually kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give, not that you guys have not seen enough of what has gone on between the horrible videos that we've seen, uh, but I got to give you a first-hand story about something that took place at this particular shooting because... The teacher that I work with actually has two first cousins that go to this particular school. Uh, so she was really out of sorts today. As a matter of fact, she showed me some of the text messages uh, that her cousins had sent her. One is a female and one is a male. The female cousin happened to be in 11th grade and the male cousin happened to be in 9th grade. Uh, and uh, she was telling the truth because I saw the text messages and... Um, you know, particularly from the female cousin in which she was, you know, saying, don't worry, everybody's okay. We're just, you know, we're, we're just all in shock here and, um, we'll keep you up to date and we'll let you know what aunt so-and-so says or, you know, 
um, tell aunt so-and-so, I guess, you know, her mom is the aunt, uh, I don't know, tell her my mom will call aunt so-and-so, I don't know, but they, it was real deal. Um, and she uh, shared a story with me in private because she actually could not hold her, her stuff together when she shared this story. Her ninth grade cousin, who happened to be a male, uh, get this, I mean, this is how frightening. I actually got the chills when she told me this story. She said her ninth grade male cousin was actually face-to-face with the shooter. What had happened was her ninth grade cousin, before it all went down, had to use the bathroom. And he got a hall pass or a bathroom pass to use the bathroom. And he went into the bathroom. And apparently, after he used the bathroom, he was washing his hands. And he turned around. And this person was standing behind him, actually loading his gun. And apparently, he said to the cousin, he said, you better get out of here. Things are going to get effing messy. Those were his words. And uh, he didn't shoot him, obviously. He didn't kill him, but he was loading his gun. And apparently, and, and you know, I, I guess this kind of makes sense. From what I understand, this young man ran out of the bathroom, ran to the security guard, and I don't believe it was the same security guard that they've been talking about in the news. Um, I believe it was a different security guard, or potentially it was possible that it was, but whoever he ran to was able to take... He isolated this young man because at this point in time they were unsure as to what was happening. Nobody had been shot yet and this uh, young kid was loading his gun up in the bathroom first apparently. And uh, they put him on I guess what you would call like a little golf court kind of thing and they took this cousin all the way to the football field and dropped him off there all by himself and then came back. So, And this is a true story guys. I saw the text messages with my own eyes so... I don't know. It's, a, it's just a messed up thing. It's just a messed, messed up thing. Very, very, very scary. Very scary. And it scares me. It scares me. I say to myself, I have children. Again, I, my, you know, my little Mickey's only going to be 10 months old. Be 10 months old on the 25th of February. Still only nine months in a couple of weeks. Then I got my seventh grade boy, Junior, and my, my Sarah Lee, who is in ninth grade, who happens to be in her own little world right now. And You know, one of the things she said to me the other day, she said to me that in the boys' bathroom, there are guys in the boys' bathroom that sell vape pen hits of marijuana for a dollar. So, in other words, they will sell, they'll go in the bathroom, then they'll have people come in, take a hit of the vapor, vape pen for marijuana, and give the kid a dollar. I mean, this is the stuff that's going on in school. I mean, my daughter told me that probably 90% of her school is vaping, so to speak. And these are the things that we have to worry about. These are the things that we have to worry about. I mean, do I really have to worry about my children going to school and, God forbid, somebody shooting up the school? And you want to know what the simple answer is? Yes, I have to worry about it. We all have to worry about it. <sighs> so anyway, this is a uh, this is a wrap, guys. I just you know I know we didn't talk a whole lot about mental health tonight. 
And, well, actually, we kind of did. I mean, if you really think about it. I, I hope I didn't. Uh, I hope I wasn't too opinionated on things. I tried to keep it real, everybody, like I always do on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Uh, my love is going out to everybody out there. I hope I'm helping somebody. I hope I'm educating you guys. I really, really do. It's it's what I am doing this for. I am doing it for you. Guys, keep your head up out there. Have a great night. I'll be back in a couple of days. God bless everybody. Thank you once again for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast.